okay, everybody, it is a big, big Tuesday. We're climbing up the mountain. This is the steepest part of the week. It's a big financial news show for you today. Just tons of data and tons of lessons, Molly. Yeah, it is. A, it's a mini MBA in a podcast box is what it is. <laughs> First up, we have crypto expert Bennett Tomlin to break down what in the holy blazes is going on with Terra and UST. And Luna, this whole and thing, and, and they missed the peg, something's going on. Oh Bennett God. is just an amazing expert. Um, and we talk about these stable coins, specifically algorithmic ones, and maybe this is the end of it. And maybe regulation needs to come and tighten this up. Yeah. And then we're going to do, uh, if you've been watching Moon Knight, we're going to mm. be like Amit. We're going to weigh the, the hearts, weigh the souls of some tech companies right now. Yes. A deep dive on five stocks that are down at least 70% off of their mid-COVID peaks. Yeah, and we're going to talk about how much cash they have in the bank and what their revenue is. And, you know, as I said yesterday, we're bouncing along the bottom here, I believe, in terms of the crash. So let's look at some facts and let's weigh Coinbase, Shopify, Twilio, Zoom, and Block formerly known as Square. And then we may get slightly derailed by some breaking derailed. news that Elon <laughs> is potentially letting Trump back on the platform. So I'm just going to warn you now. Spoiler alert. Minor Molly derailing. Molly <laughs> Ma, I had, to, I had to pull a, Molly back. She ran right minor, to the edge. It was a pretty minor <laughs> losing it by my standards. Okay, but. Right, fair enough. But you went right to the edge. You did put one foot over the edge. I went right to the edge, but I'm always professional. Always professional. Like, oh, bring it back, Molly. Don't jump. <laughs> uh, and finally, we wrap with some Peloton earnings, which are... Ouch. Really Ouch. grim. Ouch. This is going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Indochino. Indochino makes custom-fitted suits, shirts, and casual wear at affordable prices. Shop for your next best look or book a virtual-style consultation at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $50 off any purchase of $3.99 or more by using code TWIST at checkout. Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. TWIST listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. And Assure. Assure is the leading provider of special purpose vehicles and fund administration with over 5,000 completed transactions and $2.5 billion under administration. Twist listeners can get 20% off their first SPV at assure.co slash twist. That's assure.co slash twist. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tuesday show. And this is where we try to climb the mountain, right, Molly? We are climbing the mountain. I actually said that to my kid this morning when I woke him up. Oof. I was like, turns out Tuesday is the day you got to climb the mountain. We can do this. Get your butt out it's of It's really bed. like, it's the steepest pitch. Um, really? It's the most hopeless time of the week, <laughs> especially <laughs> on a week when every company is crashing. This is, oh my uh, Lord. as I saw, I, I saw Keith or boy say like very June 2000 vibes and I got a little PTSD. Mm -hmm. I remember that time. It was just people saying like, can it go any lower? And I was like, I yeah, know. it can. Zero. Yeah. A stock can go to zero. <laughs> that is the possibility. And I feel like if it's going to happen, it's going to be in May. It's going to be this month or next month. Like it is bonkers out there. It's just never ending. Well, they say, you know, sell in May and go away uh, on the stock market. And, you know, people like to take the summer off and not think about these things. So, you know, there, there is some truth to people might say, you know what, this is going to be a disaster. I'll just get out of this for now. And yeah, I'll, I'll, 
I'll I think look at it later. There'd be some wisdom to that right now, too. Like, if you can do it, just don't look at your portfolio. Just barbecue instead. Mm. Like, let's just. Well, I mean, I think if you love the companies you're in and they're printing money and they're high margin businesses or have great and or have great management, which usually those things are aligned and they have products you love. Uh, my general feeling is I like to hold things for a decade. So yeah. you know, when I'm looking at Robinhood or Uber or other Square in my portfolio, things that are down, I'm like, still love these companies, still love um, the management, you know, revenue growing. Uh, I'm going to stick with it. Uh, no one should take my advice. And this is not advice. But after our conversation yesterday, like I'd, I'd buy more Uber right now. Yeah, I mean, if they're, if they're trading at one point x times um their revenue yeah. it's pretty great considering we look at and are having conversations in our corporate slack as investors and saying you know this is trading at eight these this founder wants 80 times revenue right. maybe we should offer them 30 times <laughs> revenue right and then it's like and uber's, at uber's 1. trading 7? at 1.x and you're like huh how does yeah. this math work well there's a lot of growth that happens we're talking about companies making 10k a month 100k a year 300k a year you kind of give them a little credit you can't have the company be worth you know, 1.x, it'd be a $200,000 company enterprise value, you give them a little bit of credit, hey, 30 times 300,000, you know, make it a $10 million valuation, the founders don't get wiped out. There's like a practical reason for that. Right, right. Um, but anyway, it's you know, different. It, but anyway, it's different. But uh, it's not that different, because every company eventually gets valued on free cash flow profits. Um, and as they say, the markets are a voting mechanism and then eventually a weighing mechanism. I don't know who exactly said that quote, but it always stuck with me. I know mm -hmm. I heard it first from Bill Gurley and he quoted somebody else, but you know, you just want to know like, what does this business actually do in the world and what value does it provide to their customers? And then what is the profit and the valuation of these companies is somehow trying to look at future profits of the company and say, the future profits of this company is why this valuation exists if right. you own this business yourself you wouldn't sell it for this dollar amount because the revenue coming in in the future would be greater in some way you know maybe the next 20 years or 10 years or 30 years of revenue would be greater than the price somebody's offering it for you for today and then you'd still own the business after you collected those revenues in the next 20 years and that's how valuations somehow in a market occur uh but i think our first Spe story yeah, exactly <laughs> speaking of trying to determine the long-term value of something in the world <laughs> and <this> something <laughs> in the crypto space would be something that provides no intrinsic value exactly uh, so far but, but a i mean stable coins i guess do have some value in that they provide a tool for people to move money around um without shipping dollars and paying wire fees theoretically so uh, we're talking today about um a project called luna now we had the founder of luna on the pod uh, it's a stable coin it's referred to as ust uh terra is what it is now that is not usdt molly right which is tether that's another stable coin <laughs> right. that's had well, tons of issues and legal um, sanctions around them. That's a different project. Right. We should actually say Terraform Labs yes. is the maker of two coins, effectively. One is called Luna and the yep. other is called Terra. Sorry, right. UST. They make a bunch of coins, right? But there's this Terra yep. USD coin that's right. a stable coin that is 
attached to Luna in ways that we are going to attempt to break down with a guest in a yes. minute. But this was, this represents in many ways, like a real attempt to, to realize the currency part of cryptocurrency, to actually mm. turn, create a stable coin that could be used as a low transaction cost way to move money back and forth, like actually, you know, make a digital currency that was super easy and cheap to use. Right. And along with a broader crypto crash that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show, the Terra and Luna project, which again, was supposed to be stable, like right. stable coin. it's in the name $1. It's in the coin. You would always yeah. be able to get a UST for a dollar. Yeah. Has become uh, untethered to use an unfortunate pun and <laughs> pun and confuse yes. us even more it's from confusing. that $1 price point. Peg. Yes. And they call the peg, which they call the peg. And even yeah. briefly, I think they, they stopped trading. There's an exchange mechanism that happens to help ensure the stability of this price. And they stopped that mechanism because of congestion mm -hmm. and confusion. And, and, and that is literally the sum total of what I understand, which is why <laughs> We're bringing on we a guest. We should get our guest on, yeah, because... Uh, <laughs> to help us explain this. <laughs> our guest is a, uh, I would say, a crypto skeptic. And uh, he writes a newsletter called The FUD Letter. Fear, Uncertainty, and Doubt is uh, what FUD stands for. And he co-hosts the Crypto Critic Pod. So <laughs> he is a critic. Uh, and he's named himself such. His name is Bennett Tomlin. And uh, I interact with Bennett all the time. How are you, sir? Glad to be here, Jason. I'm doing good. Uh, so you have been on this for a long time. Uh, you are skeptical of these projects. I had uh, Do Kwan of Terraform Labs on the pod, and I couldn't get an explanation for him of how this, I guess they call these algorithmic stable coins. They're a little different than stable coins. We have USDC by Circle, um, which is really like a, you know, Jeremy O'Leary's company, an American company with a lot of regulation planning on going public and they seem to have done i i would think we would agree that they've done the most in terms of making sure the one-to-one -one exists there's a dollar in a bank account somewhere to the dollar that the, the the token is worth and tether you've been super critical of we can get into that but let's let's try to define what exactly is going on and what is luna because there's a staking component to this where people are getting paid 19.5 percent to give their bitcoin great liquidity to make lunas that <laughs> supposedly equal yeah. what yeah what these coins Bennett, what and that's where i kind of go who's who's pegging me because i feel like i'm getting pegged by the time like i give my coin like i feel like i'm the one getting <laughs> explain this yeah. to everybody okay mm -hmm. so, did i go too um, far with that metaphor <laughs> might have gone I a little too it. far i get it um yeah. So yeah, as you mentioned, there's like what I think of as like the asset-backed, fiat-backed stablecoins, um, the more reputable ones being like USDC run by Circle or uh, Binance Dollar or Paxos Dollar, which are both run by Paxos, both which have done a much better job than Tether of making sure they had adequate reserves and avoiding the ire of the law. Then there's other asset-backed stablecoins like Tether, which have had long periods where they had insufficient assets. Uh, then in the more like decentralized stablecoin space, you have the like over collateralized debt based stablecoins like MakerDAO, which creates the DAI stablecoin. So there you're putting up extra collateral to get the DAI out. And so it is a little bit more protected because you've got that extra buffer. Algorithmic stablecoins like Luna and Terra rely on a bit of um, alchemy 
almost where uh i'm sorry the word you used was alchemy the word i used is alchemy yes <laughs> okay. uh not science not magic That's somewhere a between real the technology two. word jason yeah. yes uh, i'm just looking so, it up at investopedia <laughs> <laughs> and so uh the nice tarot one. chain is a cosmos chain that you can run various smart contracts on and luna is like the base token for that in the same way that ether is the base token for ethereum However, the difference with Terra is that it has built into the protocol like this foundational algorithmic stablecoin idea, which is that if we assume or if Luna does have value, we can use it as like a pseudo collateral for a currency like token. And that's Terra. And so um, by going through the protocol, you can always exchange about $1 worth of Luna for one Terra or one Terra for about $1 worth of Luna. And so as long as Luna, remains valuable. The idea is that it can be used to collateralize the supply of Terra in circulation. And okay. when you exchange the Luna for the Terra, the Luna is burned, right? It's or, so or minted if you're going the other minted, way. Yeah. If you're yeah, going so the other if, way. Okay. So yeah, that there's so always a control on the supply of Luna on either direction. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's that right there is also what can lead to what's called like the algorithmic stablecoin death spiral, right? is because Terra is effectively collateralized by Luna, you can hit a point where the value of Luna starts to fall pretty rapidly. And we saw this happen during the depegging, where uh, at one point, and I think still now, Luna ended up falling its market cap below the market cap of circulating Terra. And so there is insufficient um, demand, insufficient liquidity to actually collateralize the Terra in circulation. Um, the issue with this becomes when the people try to redeem the Terra in circulation and go back to the protocol to get more Luna, the protocol has to keep minting and selling the Luna effectively into a depressed market with a falling price. And so you end up with this dynamic where uh, when that starts to flip, when the collateral effectively starts to lose value, it becomes increasingly challenging for the stablecoin to recover. All right, everybody, weddings are fully back in 2022, as I'm sure many of you know. And whether you're the groom in the wedding party or just a guest, you got to look great. And if you want to look great, you got to use Indochino. Indochino makes high quality, custom fitted suits, shirts, casual wear and more. And with Indochino, you can customize everything from suits and shirts to chinos and bomber jackets at surprisingly affordable prices. And the Indochino experience is amazing. In the store, they do all your measurements. It's very efficient. And you get to pick the fabric, the lapel, the monogram, and of course, the statement linings that I love so much. And Indochino suits start at just $429 and shirts from just $79. If you've got a big day coming up, Getting the perfect look is simple with Indochino. Get $50 off any purchase of $3.99 or more by using the promo code TWIST at Indochino.com. That's $50 off a purchase of $3.99 or more at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com and use that promo code TWIST to get your 50. Get that 50. Got it. Does that mean I can buy Luna at 60 cents and get a dollar worth of Terra and arbitrage it? Or do I need like whatever, you know, one point, whatever Terra uh, Luna's to buy a Terra uh, when it crashed? So yeah, right it now, could, because it's yeah. below peg, what you mm -hmm. would do is buy up Terra. So like for say, I think it's 90 cents right now. So you'd spend 90 cents getting your Terra. 
you'd go back to the protocol and you'd swap that for a dollar worth of Luna and do the arbitrage that way. When it's Got above it. peg, you do the pe- you do it in the opposite direction and exchange one dollar's worth of Luna for one Terra, which when it's worth more than a dollar, you can then sell and make the difference there. Yeah. And so if you are confident that you would be able to sell the dollar worth of Luna you'd get for that uh, arbitrage, then there is a reason for people to start acquiring UST on the open market is the part of the dynamic that's assumed there because they want to make that arbitrage. They want that easy 10, 20, 30, whatever percent as it depegs. So who... Oh, yeah, go ahead, Ma, you guys. Why should this have worked? Is my question, right? So there's this idea of this algorithmic stablecoin and that will stabilize. Like, was there ultimate confidence in this arbitrage mechanism to ensure that Terra would always stay stable? Like, I'm sort of not sure why this wasn't always destined to come apart. Um, I would argue that it was probably always destined to come apart. Uh, and I think most algorithmic stable coins are basically always destined to come apart because they rely on this kind of alchemy of convincing people that this thing that should be worth nothing is worth something. And there was even a bit of a tacit acknowledgement in like the Luna community that a lot of the things they were doing in order to grow Terra in order to scale this up were unsustainable and couldn't last, right? So this is why like uh, subsidizing the anchor yield, right? So Terraform Labs, the company behind Terra was basically giving millions and millions of dollars to the anchor protocol so that they could pay out a much higher rate to people who lent their Terra than the market actually demanded or wanted, right? And so because of this, a whole bunch of people were minting more and more Terra so they could take advantage of this 19 or 20 percent um interest rate that was being offered at I'm the sorry. anchor protocol did you say 20 percent interest rate <laughs> i did i did <laughs> yeah the, they, they were offering a 20 percent <laughs> interest rate for a while on a stable coin okay you know bennett you're you're a finance guy are you, are you aware generally of what the stock market returns on average every year it's less than that. Madoff did like what eleven point eight percent per annum over his uh, way when he was cheating, and yeah, yeah, he, he was the greatest Ponzi scheme in history. And, and the market returned seven percent. And venture capitalists, you know, over you know many decades and and lots of work um, in a very small, tiny market uh, relative to other markets, you know, the, the best ones can return twenty percent year over year. So here you get twenty percent for loaning them. Your Bitcoin or you, you buy Terras and you loan them into this pool and they would yes. give you back 1.2 Terras or another 0.2 Terras for every one you lent every year. You uh, or cash. You deposit your Terra into the protocol. You get a token that represents the Terra you deposited plus the interest it accumulates while it's there. I think it's called AUST for Anchor UST. And then that represents the yield you're accumulating until you find. You get that money withdrawal. daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. I, I, I I'm not a hundred percent sure. Okay, I'd have to look it up, but it's uh, it's paid pretty regularly. It might even be Got paid it. block by block. I'm not sure. Interesting. Um, so it's not like you're waiting to the end of the year or quarterly. Mm-hmm. You're, you're you're getting it basically in real time. So a bunch of people with money sitting around said, "Well, if these schmucks are going to give me a dollar twenty, for every dollar I let them hold, I'll let them hold some dollars. So somebody gives them a million bucks, they get another 200,000 at the end of the year, more than you're going to get. Yeah, I, I think from any so, other investment. Yeah, so like there's, there's, 
people go out on the open market and like might use their dollars to buy Terra or might yeah. use their dollars to buy Luna and then convert it to Terra. They're not giving the dollars like directly to Terraform Labs or anything like that. But yeah, they go out, they get They're the buying Terra. the Terra from some other third party who owns yeah. Terras. Yeah, yeah. Some other member, uh, yeah. likely one of the large market makers, which keep those markets liquid. Um, and so, yeah, then they're able to use that to get the yield. And so the Steelman good faith version of what this algorithmic stablecoin was trying to do is that by doing these unsustainable things, by incentivizing this growth, they hope to get it large enough and with enough interest use cases and other things for it that they would be able to stop doing the unsustainable thing and mm. people would still think this thing should be worth a dollar. So you're saying that they set up a scheme by which they were promising some returns and then maybe yes. those returns weren't happening. And so then they started to try to incentivize more people to come in and continue to buy so that they could eventually get caught up and return the returns that they had been promising all along. Okay. Because I uh, believe I may have just described the Madoff scheme. They're, they're, um, they're generally pretty careful to not outright promise a certain level of right. return in official marketing materials from like Terraform Labs. But uh, there was definitely like a subsidy to help make sure that it would continue to grow right. and would get larger. I, wanna, well, I told you, I told you this with Molly. Question. Remember, I told you, uh, Molly, though, last week that I knew a poker guy. I think I said it on last week's show. Yeah. Who was like, I stopped playing poker because I'm just staking a bunch of crypto and making like more money there than I would in a poker game. Right. So continue. I, the, well, my actual follow up question is who are the large market makers that you referred to? What's oh, that um, dynamic all about? Well, there's a bunch that trade it just because it's relatively liquid and integrated at this point, but like three arrows capital jump. Crypto and Alameda all are actively trading and making markets in Terra. And uh, several of them were also recently part of the secondary sale of Luna tokens to create the Luna Foundation Guard, which is where Terraform Labs went out and bought, uh, or were going to buy, I don't remember how far they got through it, $10 billion worth of Bitcoin to help support the peg. So it is really important for founders to understand what SOC 2 compliance is. Basically, I'm just going to dumb it down real quick. If you are a SaaS or a services company and you need to store customer data in the cloud, then you need to be SOC 2 verified from a third party in order to close major customers. If you're not SOC 2 compliant, you cannot close big deals. Okay, we got that out of the way, but here's the thing. SOC 2 verification is brutal. It is time-consuming, tedious, and expensive, or at least it was, but now there's Vanta. Vanta software makes it way easier to get and renew your SOC 2 compliance. On average, Vanta customers are SOC 2 compliant in just two to four weeks. That's compared to three to five months without Vanta. You don't have that kind of time. You're running a startup here. And Vanta partners with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file SOC 2 reports directly within Vanta. And here's the best part. Vanta is going to give you $1,000 off. Get $1,000 off at vanta.com slash twist. That's vanta.com slash twist for $1,000 free dollars. Got it. Okay. Now, here's a chart of that. The LFG reserves. So they had started to build up some reserves in Bitcoin. And these were to back the stable coin and the Luna token in case it became unpegged. Am I correct? That's the intent of this? It was 
meant to be used to perform open market operations to defend the peg. Uh, it wasn't like, yeah, so it's not like directly, you can't directly redeem your Terra for Bitcoin. You can't directly do anything like that. It's just meant as a, uh, mm. as a pool of money that these market makers in Terraform Labs can use to try to fix things when they break. Got it. And they raised over 3 billion of this at some point, or maybe it was less, but it, the value yeah, it, of Bitcoin it, went it up. It was supposed to end up being $10 billion when he announced it. I, I don't know how much they ended up actually getting to before yeah. things really started to uh, struggle. This chart says between two and three billion was in there um, uh, from January until now. And then they deployed that to, I guess, prop up the sale of Luna's and this basic run on the bank that's occurred the last couple of days. Or to, to enable buying and selling, basically, yeah, on the open yeah. market. Uh, it, I think it was announced that they did a, at the very least, a $1.5 billion loan of Bitcoin and $1.5 billion loan of UST to several of these major market makers. I think that was on pretty early on Sunday to help try to stabilize the peg. And then since then, there was the other large withdrawal where they moved some of their funds to a separate wallet and uh, seemed like they were getting ready to do another deployment of capital. So yeah, they created this big pool of money and basically tell these firms, go out and use this money to help get this thing back to a dollar. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay, so where are we now? We are not at a dollar. Right. We have it, we have un, we have untethered from the peg. We were yeah, we were at like 90 cents when I checked it a couple hours ago. I don't know exactly yeah. what it's at right now. I think that's about right. And then what's the thing with the halted trading that happened? Um, Binance is uh, oh, Binance ended up having a limit on their order books for this where they weren't allowing any bids to be put in under 70 cents for a while. And so because of that, when the market price of this token fell below 70 cents, there was no bids available on Binance. And so trading effectively halted. Um, besides that, they were also, they also halted withdrawals for Terra and Luna, which meant people who had those tokens on Binance could not sell them because there was no, uh, bid and they couldn't withdraw them because mm -hmm. those were frozen. So now that the reserve is gone, Luna Foundation Guard reserves, seems to have been depleted. If another run happens, they have no way to prop this up. Is Am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if the reserve is entirely gone or if uh, they just had to move part of it as part of the structuring the loan or whatever. Uh, but yes, there, there does. it's not a sustainable strategy, right? Every time the peg breaks, it becomes a little bit harder to build up the confidence and faith in this thing again convince people once more that they should believe this thing is worth a dollar when they've just seen it not worth a dollar and so they can use the reserves they have for now to likely bring it back up to a dollar i think they've got enough billions of dollars to pull that off for today at least but you're right that next time it happens next time something like this occurs they can't do that again right because yeah. The money's gone, the money's been spent. Or even if they have enough to do it next time, what about the time after that? And so, yeah, it's not a sustainable strategy for them to continue to use their reserves in that way. Who's the bag holder here? Like, who's, who's losing all their money? Um, retail investors who got into Luna pretty late. Uh, yeah. Before the ICO of Luna, there were private sales to about a dozen venture capital firms. 
And those were done at 18 cents and 80 cents per token. So they're still very much in the green. Um, I think Jump Crypto Alameda and Three Arrows Capital were the big three who participated in the Luna Foundation Guard secondary sale, which I think they might be in the red right now because I think that sale might have been priced higher than uh, $30. But the people most in the red right now, most getting screwed, are the uh, retail investors who got in a little bit later. Hmm. I think I just figured something out, Molly. Mm-hmm. A bunch of venture capitalists bought Luna for Luna tokens for 18 cents to 80 cents. Is that correct, Bennett? Yes, that's absolutely correct. So they buy these dollars, mm-hmm. or what's supposed to eventually become a dollar, right? It's supposed to yeah. peg with Luna, the actual Luna, stable. Luna, Luna is the governance token. Luna is the, Luna is yeah. the staking token. The it's the trade. base token for the chain. Yes, and then exchange, you can yeah. burn the Luna to get Terra. Right. It's supposed to be it. at a, but it's supposed to be at a dollar eventually. Is that correct? It's supposed Terra to. Terra is, Luna can be at any price. And Got it. Yeah. But if you and, have Luna at 18 cents and you want to arbitrage it for that Terra at a dollar, you make money. No, 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 no. Because if you just end up having to burn like five Luna to get one Terra, right? Got it. Um, it's a literal exchange with an exchange rate. What, what yes, is yeah. Luna okay. trading at? Got it. Uh, $30 or so got right it. now. Um, so these, they got in at 18 cents. Luna went up and it, Luna peaked at like was as high as like 90 so. bucks, right? At some peaked point. Peaked at like 115. Wow. So... Yeah. Am I correct in thinking that the people who got in at 18 cents, whoever they are, they now are up, just trying to do the math here really quick, 10, 10 times 18 cents is a buck 80, 100 is $18, and if they were above 100, they were 1,000x in their investment. Yes. So they're up 1,000x, they're still up, if it's, you know, at 30, I mean, they're still tremendously up, uh, you know, whatever. 150 200x this is extraordinary in like a year or two uh the ico was in february of 2019 so the private sales were probably end of 2018 beginning of 2019 so about three years in three years they were Mm -hmm. up between as low as today 150 200x their money and as high as a thousand times their money yeah so if they sold all that to the bag holders known as retail then they'd be sitting on billions of dollars in some cases, and then they want to keep this thing up. They do this um, well. See, reserve see that, is that right? Yeah. Part of the interesting dynamic here is that uh, I don't think any of the major market making firms that were part of the recent secondary sale to set up the mm. reserve were part of the original ah, two private sales. And so that's you're actually getting at part of the interesting dynamic here is that the early venture capitalists had such a massive price appreciation. Um, that I think many of them probably did at the very least downsize or de-risk their positions over the last Mm. year. And so they're probably okay and can stomach just about any drop in the Luna price. Mm. Um, The bigger issue is for the retail investors who came in later or for the firms that participate in the more recent secondary sale. If you're an accredited investor, you need to know about special purpose vehicles. So what is an SPV? Well, it's an investment vehicle that allows up to 250 investors to invest up to $10 million by one entity on a cap table. So if you're an angel investor and you got a bunch of rich friends like I do, you could start your own syndicate and power it through an SPV. 
PV. Here at Launch, we love working with the team out of Shore. They power all of my syndicates, which is the largest one in the world, with over 10,000 members, and we've done hundreds of deals. Ashore is the leading providers of SPVs and fund administration with over $2.5 billion in AUA. And they've developed an innovative software program called Glassboard. This automates the entire investment experience from entity formation all the way to an IPO. Ashley and Heidi on my team who manage the syndicate.com love the interface and use it every single day. To get 20% off your first special purpose vehicle, SPV, I want you to visit assure.co slash twist to get 20% off your first SPV. I do, Jason, though. I see where you're going with this because I had a similar realization about VCs who are super into crypto recently, just as a side note, which is like, if you, you take an equity stake in a business that is related to crypto and you get a big token allocation, so you effectively, you get paid twice. Like, I can see why there are billion-dollar yeah. funds going into this. Okay, but back to... Uh, this specific instance. And I, I just want to dig into what this means for trust and stable coins, which you alluded to earlier, because there are these two types, right? There are stable coins that are specifically pegged to fiat currency and others that are algorithmically pegged. Uh, yeah. So I think there's like the subset of ones that are like, they're sometimes called bank coins, right? Like Circle, Paxos, Tether, where the funds are held in financial institutions, at least for the ones that aren't Tether. The funds are held in financial institutions and like they act kind of like a pseudo tokenized money market fund. Um, Then the algorithmic ones are still pegged to the dollar, but rather than having like a pool of cash and cash equivalents, which is meant to support the value, the only thing supporting the value is the arbitrage mechanism against the governance token or against whatever else. So then how much damage does this situation and these, you know, happenstances over the past few weeks due to the idea of the algorithmic stablecoin. If we assume this is just a market trying to figure itself out here, right? Yeah, I I think it's plausible that this is going to do some pretty substantial damage to algorithmic stablecoins as a whole. They've existed for years at this point. Dan Larimer did it with Nubits back in 2016, 2017, way back. And then we've had tons of follow-ups since then. Um, This one was a little bit unique because it got quite large. Uh, the mm. Terra market cap at one point was $18 billion. And then that's not counting the Luna market cap, which was an additional $40 billion on top of that. So between the two, you had like a $60 billion combined market cap for this token system. And yeah, and they were sponsoring US sports teams. They were mm-hmm. purchasing $10 billion of this other asset. They were connecting more. They were trying to connect and use it for payments and all these other things that started to touch the real economy in a little way. So I think that Terra was just at the point where they were starting to really provoke a lot of interest from regulators and stuff like that. And now that they've gotten to the scale where they're doing that and they're actively failing, I think it's quite probable that their failure is going to bring in more regulatory attention to this class of stablecoins. Besides that, there's another kind of tricky dynamic here with the billions of dollars of Bitcoin that they purchased to support the peg. And that's that they are now in a position where the longer the system is depegged, the more they need to continue spending until they've effectively burnt through their entire reserve of Bitcoin, continue, continuing to sell those into the market, depressing the market and making it 
more challenging for the crypto ecosystem as a whole, right? Because so an entity relatively quickly liquidating $10 billion. You're talking about contagion. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. there's the broader contagion from them selling Bitcoin into a falling market. There's the closer contagion with like magic internet money, which is uh, Daniel Sesta and uh, Omar Dahani, Sifu, created a protocol on Ethereum, which would go through the anchor lending market 10 times, rehypothecating each time to try to get leverage on the yield they were subsidizing. And they used this to create their own stablecoin, which they called Magic Internet Money. And so like last night in the Abracadabra box, we saw a bunch of liquidations in that protocol because there was a bunch of people who had effectively levered up their Terra and were getting liquidated. And so the issue with stablecoins broadly is that by their nature in DeFi, where they're like this very base building block that gets integrated into a bunch of other protocols and other stuff like that, when they fail, they have the potential of taking down any protocol that's integrated them deeply. Mm-hmm. It would just be like the dollar failing or a country's dollar failing and Which is your thing. 401k, your college, all these different applications, retirement, savings, all of those loans, mortgages are based on this dollar, whatever dollar it happens to be or RMB or euro. So this is the underlying operating system of many different applications and so when they fail so when you mentioned before there was like 60 billion dollars between the tokens and um the stable coin i'm wondering where all that money lives now where who got all that money yeah or who had all that when you say value was it like I mean, crypto, crypto is not kind? the world's most liquid <laughs> markets. Right. right? Yeah. It, the, at no point could anyone have sold $60 billion into these exactly. markets and gotten that mm-hmm. out of it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's the naive calculation of taking the price of these assets and yes. multiplying it by Got the it. amount in circulation. And so despite the fact that that was yeah. their nominal value, there was never that many actual dollars that went into the system. There were already, Elizabeth Warren was losing her mind last week over... You know, I guess Fidelity was going to include Bitcoin, I guess, as a retirement thing. Mm-hmm. And then she was also on the stablecoin thing early. I, I've always felt like maybe the United States government would like to keep their sovereignty of their currency, you know, and maybe also keep the weapons in the military. Maybe also keep the land, <laughs> you know, known as the United States. Maybe these things together would be important to the United States. The land that we live on, the money that we own in the world than we use and the planes and the, the bombs the and global all that reserve stuff. currency that yeah, affords like us maybe, a lot of benefit yes but yeah. Bennett, people seem to think that the that governments would be like you know what it's fine create your own money compete with us there there is sometimes this uh you're pointing at something which i think is quite accurate and kind of funny because you'll see it quite often in crypto where simultaneously you'll have someone discussing the powerful anti-state properties of their technology. Now, mm. this stands like against the power of the state and the power of the government and everything for that. And then as soon as the government takes like a glance at them, you watch them start panicking and screaming that it's unfair, that mm-hmm. the government can't do that to them. And that contrast has always been kind of funny to me yeah. because well, uh, yeah, you're saying you're going to go after the state, you're going to take this whole thing down, you're going to destroy the system. Uh, then the system looks at you and it's not fair. I'm worried that you were exaggerating your capabilities at the beginning. 
It's also very interesting because as you described, for example, buying a massive trove of Bitcoin to use as a reserve in order to sort of prop up this system and uh, pump liquidity into this market. And then you describe essentially selling out of the market, sort of like mm, quantitative easing or rolling back quantitative easing. And then you describe, uh, what did you call it? Rehypothecation, which sounds a little bit like buying and, and selling collateralized assets, a little bit like the 2008 housing crash. Like it sort of all starts to feel like same story as the first story, right? It's all just still financialization and using an, a deep understanding of the way that markets move to make money, which to me doesn't sound that different from what, it, you know, our financial institutions are doing now. It's just like a different skin. I, I think that there's certainly truth to that and that much of what's been successful in crypto are basically examples of financialization. Um, and and right. I don't even think that's a particularly controversial view in the cryptocurrency community. Like but it is ironic. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> but like foundational, like most of like the Web3 think pieces and stuff that A16Z is cranking out daily, is that it fundamentally allows you to financialize all of these different interactions and transactions. Like that's their investment thesis for this class is that it allows right. that thing. And it doesn't have value without that. Like at some point, you can create all the like pieces of paper and IOUs that you want, but until you make a bank, until you create the concept of debt, until you attach interest, until you do all of these financialization mechanisms, you can't explode the value. Yeah, yeah, is that they're, they ho they're trying to capture a whole bunch of what they see as value that's not currently being captured because a whole bunch of these things aren't financialized. And they think that if they can financialize them, enough people will pay something for it and they'll be able to get a cut of that. So this is all going to be regulated to all heck in the coming months, right? I mean, the, the fact that we're seeing this, if this thing collapses, or if it just continues to be uh, not pegged and people are losing money, all kinds of lawsuits are going to emerge. State attorney generals are going to start filing like New York did against Tether and sanctions and, you know, countries blocking these. But the US proposed uh, a stablecoin regulation framework, the Stablecoin Trust Act, uh, I think back in April uh, of this year. Um, this is all going to be regulated and this Michigan is going to be stopped. Is it not, Bennett? I, I don't In know. the United States, at least. Yeah. I, I, I've been covering Tether since 2017. Yeah. It's 2022. It still mm -hmm. exists. And so uh, my... I don't like to put timelines on the U.S. government at this point yeah. because uh, they don't move at the rate I thought they did. Uh, yeah. They've proposed several different frameworks for regulating stablecoins. Most of the ones would bring the like fiat-backed, the asset-backed ones into the banking framework somehow, either under OCC's purview or under the Federal Reserve's purview. Um, I think that those are a good start. Um, I think that banking regulators should have purview over stablecoins because they're banks, effectively. They're taking deposits and often making loans. And so I, I think that that's an appropriate step forward. The question then becomes, how do you effectively regulate something like an algorithmic stablecoin like Luna or Terra, right? They, the SEC has already subpoenaed Doquan and Terraform Labs. But largely, it seems related to the Mir protocol, which was built on top of the Terra chain, 
and allowed the uh, allowed to ba- allowed you to basically create synthetic assets. So you could like create a token pegged to the price of Tesla stock and then trade that. And the SEC, the what SEC, could go wrong? Yes, yes. The SEC heard that and said that that sounds like it's illegal and sent some subpoenas. Um, I mean, I know bookies so will do that for you. And if you don't like your kneecaps. Yeah. yeah exactly. and, and so the SEC, I think, could go after Terraform Labs and try to claim that the original ICO was a security sale. They could try to crank down in other ways, but it is somewhat challenging to try to figure out the best way to regulate an entity like Terraform Labs. Yeah. Yeah. I got a super simple suggestion. Just cap the size of these things until the regulation is clear. Like they can, they can build to a certain mm-hmm. scale in like a sandbox, but these things like this whole idea too big to fail is just really scary to me. And I think mm-hmm. the bag holders eventually wind up being a bunch of consumers and retail and like investors. you said, coming at projects one at a time piecemeal like that is just gonna, that's just like a stupid shooting where they could last forever. Bennett Tomlin, we can probably talk about this forever, uh, but we would only get more confused. Bennett is the co-host of the Crypto Critic Pod and writes a newsletter called The FUD Letter. Thank you for translating this for us today. Yeah. Glad thanks, to be for the thanks for, thanks for your hard work. I appreciate yes, it. Absolutely. A good follow on Twitter, by the way. He mixes it up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. We're going to uh, move on to more news here. All right. We have to get into stocks now. So we, talk we really about- do. The Bitcoin crash. Speaking Bitcoin crash. hit 29,000, 29,000 uh, just the other day. Bonkers. That's over half, over half its value in what, yes. a year? I mean, it, I think it peaked at 70. Um, and as the people who are long-term hodlers know, you know, it's a bit of a roller coaster. So 50% pullbacks, you know, 75% pullbacks have happened. They, and they happen kind of the 50% ones, the 25% ones happen all the time, like every year or two. So they're kind of all in on it. Uh, I think a lot of them don't sell. They just look at it as like buy it forever. And if it happens to 10x or 100x from here, like why yeah. would you not take that chance? I understand. Uh, but they, they can track those wallets, Molly. And I, my understanding is 40% of people who bought Bitcoin are underwater now. So this feels like a real tipping point and panic can ensue, which we're actually seeing a similar panic in the public markets right now. We are. And let uh, me read you a headline. Yes from uh, Bloomberg Markets today, and I quote, the bubble portfolio is getting absolutely crushed. Mm. Nobody mincing any words. Yeah, markets have been down for three straight days. I think like there's a little bit of a creep up today, but tech stocks in particular have had a $1.7 trillion wipeout. Mm. Uh, We went through, our producers pulled some examples of some of the precipitous half dome-esque drops, major tech stocks that are down at least 70% from their mid-COVID peak. So we thought we might just go through some of these numbers. And, you know, just in relating to Bitcoin, um, wallets with balances of more than 10,000 Bitcoins, according to CNBC, have been selling a lot in the past few weeks, ultra high net worth people and, you know, institutions. So Uh the people, it's not just the paper-handed recent people. I think there were a lot of stock market people, institutions who we're like, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take a flyer on Bitcoin. And now yeah. that the, you know, take a flyer days are over, they're like, yeah, I took a flyer. I'm going to either take a modest win or a modest loss now and, and find something else of true value. And I that mean, is, is going to be the theme, Molly, is where mm-hmm. is the actual value in the economy? Totally. And we have talked on this show before about how we, <laughs> you can't help but notice that Bitcoin in particular and some crypto in general seems to move in conjunction with the market because it is, in fact, all the same buyers 
in some cases. And now I'm curious to see now that there's a drop in a resettle, whether we'll see some decoupling from that, whether it'll go back to sort of purists as opposed to institutionals. But either way. But you said it perfectly, Molly, the the people who are the early true believers in it, they don't sell. And they might even accumulate more because they just believe in fundamentally what this technology would do. In some cases, it's religious, it's toxic you know, those early true believers, and then who came after them to run it from let's call it 20 or 30 up to 60 or $70,000 per coin. Those were the people who maybe don't even understand it. They haven't read the Bitcoin paper. This isn't religion for them. This was a speculative buy. They didn't want to feel like suckers who didn't get in on Bitcoin when it was going to a million a coin. Mm -hmm. All these people were saying it's going to a million a coin. They, you know, had very bullish million dollar coin predictions. And so buying at 40, 50, 60, 70, when it's going to a million seems like a good idea, right? You're going to 20 extra investment, 15 extra investment, where can you get that in the economy? And hey, those people got a 1000 times. So 15 times seems reasonable. Yeah, but at no point did people say, well, what's the underlying value here? I think the early true believers understand the underlying true value of what Bitcoin does in terms of scarcity and, you know, not being hackable, at least to date in the core protocol. So those people are correctly called paper hands. They were speculative and Mm -hmm. as they get wiped out, I think you're making a very good point. If that that might be when you hit the floor Mm -hmm. is the early true believers are not selling at 20, you know, or 10 or 15 or 25 or whatever, wherever Bitcoin bottoms out at. So, and then the follow on argument to that is once we hit the floor, then we start to explore what the real value of Bitcoin could be because so far we've probably arguably been distracted buy it as an incredible store of value. So if we start to figure out what Bitcoin's real value can be now that there's room to experiment because it's not a, you know, meme stock to the moon, maybe that's when we actually unlock the potential that takes it to a million. I don't know. I'm holding on to my teeny tiny holdings. I can tell you that. I'm I'm a hodler as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I think the store of value is a really great one. Just like owning some, you know, gold bullion you know, could have some store of value or homes and, you know, homes mm. have utility as well and they generate income. So it's slightly different. Um, but the producers did an interesting thing here. Yep. Um, Love this. Love this. So we, you want to know how much cash um, and marketable securities, you know, basically holdings, how much cash is a company sitting on at the end of 2021 um, and marketable securities. These are financial instruments that can be quickly converted into cash at a reasonable price, like treasuries or something. So just how much cash do these companies have? Maybe what is their 2021 full year revenue and 2021 full year profit loss? Um, And uh, these the stock prices were as of 1pm Eastern time on Tuesday. So if you look at a company like Coinbase, it's down 75% Molly, uh, from its COVID peak of 357 share a lot of venture capitalists on uh, Twitter, giving high fives and talking about how much they made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, still at Luckily, 70, hopefully they locked it in because, <laughs> well, you know, they, they couldn't in a lot of cases because of the lockup, usually right, six month lockup. Yeah. So they probably yeah. weren't able to take advantage of that unless they sold right before the IPO in the year before it. Anyway, Coinbase, uh, still a great company, but their market cap is 16 billion. Now. Mm-hmm. But this is where it gets interesting. So this is why I asked everybody here to, to tell me how much cash do these companies have? Because I remember from the dot com era, people saying, do you know, this company has more cash than their market cap. Mm. We're not there yet, but that was the true sign that things had left any conception of reality. So what does it mean? Well, let's just take this example. I'll walk you through it, Molly, and mm-hmm. you're going to have some questions, I'm sure, and some observations. Mm-hmm. If the market cap is around $16 billion, and they got a $7 billion in cash, well, if you take those two numbers uh, from each other, and 16 minus 7 is obviously 9, 
that means the enterprise value of Coinbase is 9 billion, right? Because you have six, 7 billion in cash sitting. Uh, you know, so the, the value of the company, what it's inherently worth, and then the amount of cash, you, you got to put those two things together. And you, you can also separate them, right? Uh, said another way, they could buy those $7 billion in shares in a stock buyback. And if they didn't escalate because they were buying them, but if they just traded that money in and had no cash on their balance sheet and they were profitable, whatever, uh, well, they could just retire those shares, right? So you, you get my point here. Now, mm-hmm. the 2020 revenue was 7.8 uh, billion. Uh, which was 6x 2020, and their income was 3.6 billion. It was a crazy year 2021. People were still really getting into this current price to sales ratio of 2.2x. Price to sales just means price to how much revenue they had total. Um, so sales is, you know, uh, another way of just saying revenue, top line. Yeah. And the Q1 earnings are going to come later today. But this is very interesting to me. Um, do we really think Coinbase is only worth 9 billion? With, you know, that many accounts and being the category leader in crypto, crypto is not going away. There's a lot of value here. And we're just going to go through a couple of examples of these. Because I think I said yesterday on the show, we're bouncing, the ball's bouncing, and I'm calling a bottom. I'm calling a bottom as in like, there could be a little more dips from here. But there's not far to go. Yeah. Because if the enterprise yeah. value is less than the cash or, you know, it's, it starts to become 50-50 or something like that. You're starting to look at these and saying like, well, you're, you're really giving them no credit for whatever product they have in the market and whatever revenue they have, et cetera. And I think that's where we're at. So net out the cash, $9 billion company with $7.8 billion in revenue last year. Forget about this year. I mean, that could go down or whatever. We'll find out. But even if it was just the same, their enterprise value is like 1.1 times their revenue last year's revenue it doesn't make any sense right Mm -hmm. um and so that doesn't mean i'm giving you investment advice but i do think this is my thesis of why we're bouncing along the bottom the ball is bouncing along the bottom maybe rolling on let's do shopify you can do okay got it fundamentals okay so shopify down 80 percent off its covid Mm -hmm. peak of almost 1700 dollars a share in 2021 its current market cap is 42 billion dollars its cash at the end of 2021 was 7.7 billion dollars 2021 right. revenue was 4.6 billion. That was up 57% over 2020. Net profit in 21 was 2.9 billion. This does include, however, a $2.9 billion unrealized gain from investment. So really Spotify was break even here. Mm-hmm. Net adjusted, uh, adjusted net income for 2021 was $814 million up 40%. Its current price to sales ratio is 9x. So the 2021 adjusted net income, Molly, of 814, that takes yep. out uh, things that don't happen every quarter and that are not part of the core business. That's what they mean by adjusted net income, right? Right. So, so the that would take gain. out two things. What would it take mm-hmm. out? Well, certainly that unrealized gain from investments. Okay. And then it would also take out stock compensation uh, because people look at the stock compensation as not part of the core business. So, and that's a polarizing topic, but... Um, if you just want to understand the core business, they they made a, they made some money. Yeah. Uh, yep. But then it puts their current price to sales ratio at, at nine. Mm-hmm. And this is super interesting. There's a, we have a good tweet to this uh, to this effect, yeah. analyzing Shopify's value, saying from Dan McCormick saying Shopify at forty two billion is now worth less than Klarna at forty five mm. billion dollars, which is one of roughly seventeen buy now pay later uh, apps mm. that process payments primarily on Shopify. Got it. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, the people who are building businesses on top of Shopify being worth more. Uh, so this is the process, Molly, when you're having this panic in the market, mm-hmm. different uh, 
there's different holders and different amounts of shares um, that are floated. So the amount of shares available to the public to trade might be 10% in one company might be 50% in another, the others might be privately held. Uh, and so you you do have smaller number of shares available here, uh, in some cases. And so the market's trying to figure out what these things are worth. So you might have one company lose all its value, you know, last week, and then it kind of trickles down to the next. And we saw that with the fangs, right? Uh, yeah. Or the tangs, <laughs> or the yeah. mangs, if we, call them, if we put meta as the first letter. Um, the mangs, terrible. The, the amagazz, because aren't we taking Netflix out of the fang now? Maybe, yeah. I went out and put Tesla in it, so tangs. Um, <laughs> so, if you, if, tags, anyway, tags. Tangs. If, if you replace Netflix with meta, you get the N turns into an M, you got tangs. And the A anyway. becomes, okay. All right. Long, anyway. long way of saying, like, hey. uh, it, it took yeah. a while for the, you know, even the mighty fangs to capitulate and for people to take some chips off the table there. Right. Um, and so this to me is the great unraveling. Now we're in the panic selling mode, retail is out, institutions are starting to pair positions. And then that means these companies are left, you know, sitting here going, does this make sense? Because I, I think we're a real business and right. you might want to buy our stock. And then the CEOs, as we talked about yesterday, uh, and the companies might do buybacks, because they think their stock is too cheap. The CEOs might start buying shares because they think it's too cheap. Insiders might buy shares. And so that will be the sign that we're going to start going on our way up in my mind, or that could be a sign. I don't want to yeah. reticent to give financial advice. This is all my handicapping of the situation. Yeah, I mean, what we're doing now is weighing. We're weighing. We're doing some weighing. Yes, we're yeah. putting things on the scale and saying, does this make sense? Okay, Twilio, we'll weigh Twilio. Um, it's at $95 a share. It's down 77%. Uh, it was over 400. Now, should these companies ever have hit those peaks? No, it was the stonks, crazy days where people were betting that GameStop or AMC were great bets to make. And people were manipulating the market with gangs of people. What could go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. We we mm -hmm. all knew that this was like crazy, insane behavior. Some people thought it was like fun and playful. Um, and it showed like there were insiders who were manipulating the market. So why can't the, you know, rank and file retail investors also get in on manipulating the market against them? Let's put that argument aside for a second and just realize that it's not a game <laughs> at a certain point. It's it's money. Um, I guess you can play games with money like gamble or whatever or poker. But um, if we look at this as investment and people savings and people work at these companies, it would take a little more serious tone here. Market cap is currently 17 billion for Twilio. Mm -hmm. They have 5 billion in cash. Mm -hmm. So these companies were very smart to raise large amounts of cash in an up market. What does a smart management team do? They just take down as much cash as they can, because it's cheap to do so if you lost 80% of your value. That means every dollar you take costs five times as much now, or they were 80% off when you bought them previously. You, you get the idea. Raising yeah. an up market is always a good idea. The revenue, 2.8 billion. Uh, yeah. And they're up and uh, they have a loss of uh, 949 million. Um, they spent a billion on sales and marketing. Um, their currently uh, price to sales ratio is six times. And so, um, you know, they, they, they're definitely going to be in an Uber like situation. Uber said, uh, Dara with the, we covered it yesterday, Molly. Um, hey, let's just get super serious. If the markets need to see, you know, just cash flow coming in, um, we're going to just cut things we don't need. And that could include the bottom 10% of employees. It could include marketing spend. It could include office space. It could be perks. It could be, you know, special projects, pet projects by various people in the organization. We're just going to get focused. And so Twilio pretty focused company, I, I could see them getting super focused, they got plenty of uh, runway if they have 5 billion, and they're losing mm -hmm. a billion a year. Uh, they have five years of runway. 
they could probably cut that in half and have 10 years of runway and they're growing. So if they get raised prices, et cetera. Um, yeah. You and, know, it, yeah. And, and this is one of those examples too, where I would look at not just the business fundamentals where there's a lot of cash and they're growing and all of that is true. And most of their spend is on marketing. They're also sitting right in the middle of where all marketing communications is going, which is to text, right? As mm -hmm. an API that enables yeah. text-based communication in an era of Apple's privacy changes. Mm, good point. I don't think you can yeah. discount this business at no. all. And, and I would actually look at it and say, here's an example of a company that Microsoft, uh, Google, and Amazon Web Services should just buy immediately. Yes. I mean, if Elon can go <laughs> and you know, uh, make a, a tender offer for uh, and try to buy uh, Twitter, like, why not go for Twilio? It's I don't think it's going to ring antitrust alarms. There's tons of cloud computing players. In fact, there's three giant ones that we yeah. just mentioned. And Twilio would tuck perfectly in with SendGrid. Uh, I also think they have segment they bought. My Lord, would that be a perfect get for Microsoft? at you know, 17 billion now if they give a 50 percent premium 25 30 billion mm -hmm. take that off the table put it part as azure and then you've got another three billion dollars in azure revenue or google such an easy purchase for them and the next I mean, one is zoom is, is, is i mean i would get on it i mean i would be super aggressive in buying yeah. things right now yeah uh, absolutely and, and this next one zoom is, falls into the same category like uh, a 26 billion dollar market cap my lord, it's a, it's a would be an amazing purchase for Salesforce uh, combined with Slack. Yeah, uh, my I God, put those two companies together. If I was running Zoom, I would have tried to buy Slack. Put those two companies together. Uh, yep. Zoom. Imagine you're in your Slack instance, and Zoom is just integrated into it. So when you launch a Zoom, it's a Slack channel. Yeah, I mean, and for it's crying in out the same loud. interface. So and then you have persistent freaking Zoom chat. Yeah, in good. your Slack channels that's then searchable later. Yeah, I mean, this that's like a no brainer. And Zoom is not again, Zoom, not going to zero. Like, yes, it's down 82% off its COVID peak. But it's also a verb now. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, snap it up. Yeah, current price is 6 billion 6.6x. Um, they also 5 billion in cash. And, uh, you know, they're profitable. They got a billion in profits. I mean, if if I was Slack, if I if I was bending off running Slack, I would put, I don't know why, but they they make the video features in Slack and the huddles part of the paid product. I would just make it free and do the 40 minute gating if you want to go past 40 minutes, which I think is the number that Zoom still uses 40 minutes. It turns you off so. if you're not paid. Why not go with that like time gating as opposed to feature gating feature gating mm -hmm. is when you can't use the feature unless you pay time gating or consumption gating in in, in products is when you let people experience how great it is and then annoy them a little bit like, eh, now you got to restart your call. I mean, just throw the Slack should just go right after Zoom. And mm -hmm. conversely, Zoom should launch a Slack competitor. If you know, everybody's at launch.co or at this week in startups or at inside.com, you know, they're all part of that organization, just give them all uh, a Slack like interface with channels, right? right. And just say, Hey, build a channel over here. And here's a chat room. I mean, you're you're already chatting in every zoom. And then everybody does the same thing on zoom. Did somebody save the chat? Did right. Somebody cut and paste the stuff we put in chat. It's like, that's really? like absurd. It's absurd that those are and the chat is pointing out by this way, the way, speaking of which the notice Gerald points out, uh, Microsoft Teams does this sort mm. of a slack plus zoom workflow, yes. which no again, to me is all the more reason to either, like you said, one of these two products needs to build it in, or they need to be merged 100%. 
Yeah. Square, one of my favorites, down 70% of its peak. I own some Square shares. Uh, well, actually, now it's Block. Uh, and uh, the CEO, Jack, brilliant. Uh, Blockhead is the head of Block. Uh, it's down 70% of its peak. Market cap, $48 billion. Looks like a lot of these uh, companies like to keep $5 billion around. He's got $5.2 billion sitting there. 2021 revenue, $17.6 billion. My Lord. Up 81%. Up 81% year over uh, year. Something's going right there. I, you know, that, that might have been, uh, you know, their, their forays into the cash app and the crypto. But we'll see if, uh, what happens this year. But mm -hmm. net income, $158 million in 2021. Uh, current price of sales, only 2.7x. So, again, you know, if you're bargain hunting here and you're looking at these companies, you just got to ask yourself, like, does Square have great leadership? Check. Do they have, you know, great fundamentals to the business? It seems like it. Check. Great products. Check. Customers love them. Yep. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I, I I'm worried it, about this one. I, I mean, I, listen, I like you're worried I about Square. Oh, okay, yeah. explain why. I, I'm not sure where this company is going. It's huh. sort of like you're doing a pivot now, and I'm not mm. sure where your pivot's going to land. Well, and I, the pivot, okay, so that's and bad the communications. Feels, the pivot feels philosophical and religious. I don't. Yeah. I have not heard the the clear articulation of the business reason for the pivot, mm. and I don't know what the path forward is for this company. And so, for me, I don't feel 100 percent confident that I trust the okay future. yeah they they have um really two major business lines here they got the cash app right yeah that's just basically a way to bank invest and to send money back and forth and that thing has been just absolutely printing money and like yep. you know it's tons great. of people using it. it um and then you also have the merchant services which is square yep uh which you know is like credit card processing it's a low margin business i mean they're, they're all finance so they're all low margin business so technically uh, but my lord has square become just an incredible phenomenon you ever see like the cash app where they'll give like a hundred thousand in bitcoin or cash to some artist and say hey just hit reply with your cash app handle and i'll send you money and it's you know like in urban communities and you know uh it, yeah. it has really made inroads that other people haven't made banking i think jack is a genius that way and uh i think he's running the uh, square and the cash app twitter handles um we'll but, see uh, yeah so we'll see minecraft steve we'll yeah. see that's what i call him now now that he's all in on block it's just a that was a really nerdy block minecraft joke anyway mm. breaking <laughs> anyway, news that's the one where we're Reverse like says, uh, yes, Elon I Musk said, i guess i would reverse donald trump's Twitter i guess band. i would it's i don't really need to think that hard about it i guess so sure i felt like it should have been time ban i feel like banning the former president forever was a mistake because it feels too partisan i would have just done okay he incited violence people like we're having an investigation i would have just done one year two years something and then say it's going to double right so you don't look like it's just thumb on the scale kind of stuff i mean honestly my takeaway from this is like friends don't let yourself be gaslit <laughs> what the thing you think is happening is happening Sorry, like this is one of them where like every signal that has been sent is that this is about unbanning Trump. This is about bringing back like this sort of, you know, hard right accounts that have been. It's about uh, it's about appealing to a certain segment of the population online and everybody who shouts at you that that's not what it is. That's this. That's what oh. it is. And it's the same with like the president being set by Roe v. Wade. This is just ranty time, but it's exactly the same thing with the precedent being sent by the Alito draft. Like, 
if you think you can yell at me all you want and say that it's not going to end up at contraception or gay marriage or the right for a company to own your DNA and not you, but like what your eyes are telling you is happening yeah. is what's happening. It's uh, reasonable after watching what happened with um, this Roe v. Wade opinion. And again, we don't know the exact outcome of it, but it seems pretty and clear. And after here. watching like who Elon's interacting with on Twitter, and then I guess I'd probably reverse this ban. Like, I'm just saying what well, your Dorsey, eyes are telling you is the truth. Dorsey also, uh, Jack Dorsey, uh, former CEO, also felt like permaban was too much. Um, so, you know. This is not I, about I, a permaban. This is not about the like, this is not at all about the specifics of the type of ban. Hmm. Um, Permaban just fundamentally undermines trust in Twitter as a town square where everyone can voice their opinion. Oh, that's from Bloomberg. Okay, that's Elon's quote. I, I don't disagree with the exception of violence and bots and spam and stuff like that. The violence thing is the one that gets me. Like, I, I think it if you just double it, it becomes essentially a permaban. Right. Like, so if you get a year for saying something violence or doxing somebody, you get a year. Now you dox somebody again, you get three years. You dox somebody again, you get nine years. Maybe you triple it. It just becomes super punitive. And then eventually it's like, okay. I mean, that's yeah. cool. Like, you and I can totally have that conversation. Yeah. If you're buying Twitter to I, he's undo not buying that one Twitter thing, too. he's not, I can tell you, he's not buying Twitter too. Well, that's the signal the that reason. is sent here. Like, that is the signal um, that is sent here is that I'm buying Twitter so I can undo the Trump ban, so I can undo all of the stuff about anti-vaccine stuff uh, so that i can undo uh, a, a brand new little war on disinformation meant to try to like save our democracy and many lives is it always uh, has it always been fought the right way absolutely not right. but is trump yeah. literally undermining faith in our elections to this nanosecond yes That's, i mean but see now if you, if you put him on a one-year two-year ban um and i guess this will be our third new story for the day is the, the breaking <laughs> news story here if you do put Trump on this, um, you know, short leash, where it's, you know, the next band's going to be. So whatever, he, how long has he been off Twitter now? Is it January 6th? Then we're now. I mean, I guess all I'm saying is, who cares? Two years Twitter can do what it wants. It's a company. Well, no, I know. But I, I like to think about the nuance of the issue. It, if he comes back and he says the election was stolen and we know it wasn't. And that's a dis do you, does he get to have that opinion? Uh, or is that. I guess this is going to become the question is like undermining the election. Is it illegal to do that in the United States? And if the litmus test is it's not illegal, then I guess he would be allowed to say, I believe the election was stolen. From sure. Me. Yeah. So that's not, I'm not even arguing for a permanent ban. I'm just saying sure. that at some point, this is all mm -hmm. like, this is not about bots and spam and missing, you know, it's not about bots and spam. Like it's about a it's about a hard right turn, and I have questions about what that means for our democracy and our society. Uh, the search for truth is uh, going to be hard, and I'm really curious what this Birdwatch product does in terms of like uh, people's ability to vote and clarify that. So, in this world with Birdwatch, if Trump were to say the election was um, stolen, and the consensus. Um, note underneath it was uh trump sued in 61 jurisdictions and lost 61 jurisdictions and here's a link to the wikipedia page the washington post page the fox news story whatever like uh, you know yeah i, th I, I wonder think if it's that's a good, i think our entire society has to learn digital literacy we have to learn yes. critical thinking we have to build up an immunity to these yes. you know like these platforms have only existed for 15 years really 
right? They're like, I you agree. Think of Twitter, scale, I think they've of only me- existed for 10 years. Right. I think of Twitter and my son. That's yeah. what I got on Twitter when I was on maternity leave. Right. So I think of right. Twitter and my son as the same age. His frontal lobe is mm-hmm. not developed. Yeah. <laughs> neither not until is 25. Social, neither is social medias. And so we are definitely figuring out mm. how this stuff should operate. And some of that is good. We don't have any immunity to it as a society, mm. like mm. information and disinformation and propaganda at this scale. And we are 100% trying to figure out how to live with it and what the new boundaries are. But when mm. someone comes along and then just buys it on what appear to be ideological grounds, I'm not sure that's like a healthy way to build immunity. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, anyway, who knows I mean, if this right? deal is like, going to even I close? I'm looking at the stock market and wondering, like, is this deal going to get repriced? I wonder about that, too. I also wonder about the Tesla shareholders and how pissed they are going to be. Like, you know, they've seen it. Well, they're, they're seeing like, I just mean. I'm not even saying they're right or wrong. I'm just saying like you see shareholders right now who are like, A, you seem distracted, but B, you're selling Tesla stock to do this and on and on and on. Like, I do wonder. Well, uh, Tesla shares have held up, you know, I think pretty well versus the market. Um, And he did bring in all that extra money to lower his market. I think he cut the margin loan in half. Was that, did I read that correctly? I think so. So Mm -hmm. if, I, I mean- there's a lot of cut the margin loan down to zero if people keep wanting to invest in it i suppose more people will want to invest in the company uh if he's running it they'll see it as an opportunity but man it feels to me like if the deal was done today it would be 30 percent off at a minimum 30 percent the share price was 54 so 30 percent of that is roughly 15 16 dollars 16 dollars it means it'd be a 40 dollar sale today 40 dollars a share yeah and I wonder what Twitter is trading at today. I think I sort of $44 earlier. So I'll pull up the Twitter share price. Let's see the real time. I love the real time 47. 47, right. So this deal should really go at 40. Uh, is that the actual price of Twitter right now, given mm-hmm. the market correction? It could be even 35, um, which it's traded down that low before. And so, you know, people did say that the, the price was more than fair. It's probably why the board went for it so quickly. Um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, we're obviously going to be on that story. This market curve uh, is really changes everything. Every dynamic is now on the table. You know, private markets, public markets, crypto, everything is going to be, mm-hmm. what's that term, maelstrom? Yeah, maelstrom. It's like a yeah. maelstrom right now. Like everything is getting spun around in this crazy chaotic whirlpool. And some people will get out of the whirlpool and other people are going to get sucked into it and I drowned. Know. God, I mean, really, it is all up in the air it's felt up in the air in some ways but there was like there mm. were chunks of it that you could kind of count on like yeah. the stock market kept going up uh, your 401k was okay how's yeah. it you know there was so many things that you were just like well at least this is fine yeah and now it's like whoo yeah the All future right, is 100 percent unwritten well and you know the ukraine situation um we forgot about that uh, I'm I sorry, mean, Ukraine situation. What can I say? The Ukraine situation because I'm referring to situation. Yes, definitely. Okay, yeah. So yes. I got that grammatically correct. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to make sure I get it grammatically correct every time, and I educate the audience. It's not the Ukraine, but it would be the, the Ukraine war or the right. Ukraine situation because I'm referring to the word after Ukraine. But Ukraine is referred to as Ukraine. Totally. And so you you you, know, you superimpose that uh, on top of this Roe v. Wade. These two things are like you know, earth shattering uh, for many different people. Europeans are wondering if there's going to be like a, a war, a nuclear mm-hmm. war, any kind of war on their doorstep, or there is a war on their doorstep. And then yeah. half the country here feels like they got rug pulled and lost their right from 50 years ago. 
And then the stock market is crashing. Crypto is crashing. Uh, this feels pretty chaotic. And this is all coming out of a, um, it's all coming out of a pandemic. Good news. Pandemic. And then layoffs. A layoff and that, contagion. Right. And now we're right. wandering into a market crash. So like, guys, if you're just at home ugly crying right now, I just, I see you. <laughs> I, you know it's what? Okay. It's important. It's, it's okay say, to be Mark. freaking out. <laughs> it's important also to look at um, the fact that whatever your personal state of affairs is, uh, I encourage people to look at the joy and love, family, friendships, experiences they've had, and, and just take solace in knowing like, there's always been wars. There's always been pandemics and sickness. There's always been market crashes and recessions. These things will always happen. And, and people have lost rights and people have had to protest to get them back and fight to get them back. And these things are things that occur uh, over the course of history. Uh, and it sucks to be experiencing them all at the same time. Mm -hmm. But they do pass. Uh, mm -hmm. And you need only look at historically the arc of rights and freedoms have, at least in this great country, uh, resulted in more and and justice. Uh, the trend. I'm saying it's yeah. perfect. No, I, I'm actually like feeling total. I'm only smiling because I'm like, this is awesome. Well, and market crashes, they yeah. typically lend to, they, they typically happen over two to 18, two quarters to six quarters. We're in month, we're, we're kind of in the third quarter of this, right? Mm -hmm. So that would argue that it's going to end sometime in the next three quarters yeah uh, and the war mm, all the ones that putin has started seem to resolve themselves and trickle out and you know result in some border border debates uh and, and as tragic as it is uh they have not resulted in world war three so if you just look at the uh those three things crypto is some weird thing on the side uh, we generally it can compare those it's, to tulip it's mania. It's part of the transition, right? Like we're yeah. in a we're in a transitional period in history. And if you have been reading, I, I've been reading all of those books lately about the cycles of history, the fourth yeah. turning and the Ray Dalio book, and and even just a, yes. even a casual student of history understands that it repeats. It's it really time is cyclical. Like yeah. it, horrible things happen, and then good things result from those things. Mm. And the best you can hope is that you and your loved ones aren't killed yeah. in that war, don't lose everything in the recession, right? Like, yeah. it's interesting that we yeah. started this show with our conversation about prepping. But yeah, I mean, right. it is it is a time for balance, for yeah. a strict social media diet, and for a lot of physical exercise to keep those endorphins high. Because, <laughs> uh, it, you know, and, and you spend know, some gotta, time with your family. And when you go and have a beautiful dinner, you make a beautiful dinner with your family tonight, uh, or you go, uh, you know, for a hike, uh, and, and you take your dog out for a walk, you know, the world's going to seem pretty great. And it yeah. is. So go follow so, J-Cal and look at his kitten videos. I mean, the kittens are pretty great too. I mean, uh, they get, they're and, so and, uh, freaking Breaking cute. news, breaking news right now. Breaking news, not bad news. I'm getting a second bulldog, so. Oh. So we're going to have another female bulldog. I uh, just want to see the videos of the kitty snuggling the bulldog. That is all yeah. I'm here for. We're not <laughs> keeping those kittens. The kittens <laughs> yes, are gone. Yes, you are. We, we, we have, the no, 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 no. We have uh, somebody adopted them already. What? And they, they, yes, we, we're gonna we're gonna nurse them to six weeks, but the person's taking them on the weekends. We keep them during the week. When they get to six weeks, the girls will say goodbye. I made a deal with my daughters. The monster. I'm willing to run if they're willing to detach and get, and find new homes. I'm willing to run. Wait for it. Um, a, a literal animal rescue at this house. Oh, I will fund that. an animal rescue because I know 
Kids love animals. Little girls love animals. So I was like, you know what? You guys want to run an animal rescue? I'll, I'll, that's, I'm all here for it. But, you know, six weeks with the deer, eight weeks with the falcon, six weeks with the kittens, and then you have to find a home for them. So we can keep them. That's and good. then you can visit them. But we're going to have the two bulldogs. That's enough for sustained. I mean, that's a lot of mouse to feed Molly. I gotta get back to Oh, I know. I know. I'm out. I'm out there too. I'm outnumbered by dogs. Mm. It's exhausting. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See, that was a good, that's a good, that's a good. And Rachel always, Rachel's a bit of a sleeper. I gave her a little pep talk today privately. I was like, you gotta keep bringing these great ideas. But um, she spent a lot of time on the Twitter. She's doing really good on her Twitter. I'm like, well, how about the, let's make sure we're producing the the show here. Uh, You know, I need some of that funny on the show here. (laughs) <laughs> um you know it's like you hire a comedy writer and then you're like but why are these great jokes over here <laughs> like you work for the letterman it's show right like here. they should be on my monologue not on your twitter so you know let's let's just focus where the paycheck comes from here a little bit <laughs> um but she says she's going she's to use building a brand for using the light phone uh this is the um <laughs> if you don't know the light phone it basically doesn't allow you to doom scroll it's just the phone and you get like your sms and it's pretty cool, actually. You got to read the whole thing she wrote. Oh, she did? Yeah, I need to hear this. I'll be using this time to pitch the light phone, uh, aka, you got to say this. I'm, I think the Yassification, the, yassification of the Kindle paper white. The light phone is I, pretty dope. Pull, pull the light phone up here. I think that this is um, something very cool that I might give to my daughters, um, you know, like uh, as their first phone, mm-hmm. where they can just get like very simple, call their dad, text light sms it just looks like a really cool i love the light phone yeah it's super oh. smart no no social media installed i mean this is actually exactly what kids should be getting i wouldn't mind giving them also like an apple watch with the lte in it and then they could call their dad or mom anytime and they could have some apps on it some music or whatever but not be on the open web mm-hmm. kind of craziness if i could have like a watch that i controlled um but yeah you, but your your son has a, a a phone now, yeah, obviously. He does. He was pretty yeah. early to having a phone, I think, just because of you know his parents. I mean, I was like reviewing them. Yeah, he, they were all over the house. He is. I gotta talk to you about a, how to manage that. I'm like a little torn on this, yeah, because I know that there are a lot of parents who keep the phone from their kids, but I feel like my son knows how to mm. moderate in some ways mm. because he has had one longer. Yeah. I may also be kidding myself but you know it doesn't no, I just, seem to some be kids have them at school and like the the back channel i get back of what's going on with the phones is like Ugh. i mean the phone is definitely an ongoing nightmare like it's distracts mm-hmm. him in class he's always getting in trouble for having it out like it's a whole it's a yeah, whole i shibuta. think i don't know how you're allowed to bring phones to school it feels to me like they have to be in your locker it should not be in they your should classroom be. I 100% agree. But then they end up using their phones for stuff at school. So See, that's the BS, though. The teachers need to that's say... That's the BS. And the teachers need to be teachers like... Mm-hmm. Should, I, I've heard this before. Like, oh, they need a camera. It's like, yeah, get them a regular camera. Teach them how to use... That's a great thing to do. Teach them how yeah. to use a camera. Yeah. Like an actual camera with, yeah. you know, like shutter speed and everything. Like, what a great lesson. They don't need their phones to be a camera. Like, just have a in camera sp- in every classroom for $100. In his middle school, they had the June box. Like, they were like, if you have your phone out, we take it. You get it back in June. Love oh, sweet. that. Yeah. Sweet. And I, think, I think that they should have it in high school too. But I think they're also, that's like also when you need to learn some executive function. So I don't really know. Maybe seniors, you know. All Maybe. right. Let's wrap Maybe. with uh, one more story. All right. Peloton, Mr. Earnings again. And its stock is now down 90% of the pandemic high. 
This is for Peloton's Q3 of fiscal 2022. I guess they're on the uh, the old non-calendar year for, for their quarters. Peloton stock is down 93% from the all-time high of $163 a share, which they hit in December of 2020 during the pandemic, where everybody mm-hmm. thought everybody would have a home gym instead of ever going to a gym again. And now everybody's stoked to go to All In Summit, get on planes, throw their masks in the garbage, and go to spin class again. Mm-hmm. it's it's uh whether whether it's accurate or not the pandemic is over for most peloton's market cap is now under four billion for the first time since august of 28 when they raised their series f their private market at a 4.1 billion dollar post money so of august 2018 so peloton's market cap is now under four billion for the first time since august 2018 when they raised the series f at 4.1 billion yeah, and that is yeah a private they're back to private they're back to private valuations and if we do our weighing exercise like we were doing before peloton currently has 1.5 billion dollars of cash and marketable securities on hand it's it's price to sales ratio seems to be about 1.1 x so they're worth 2.5 billion so they're worth 2.5 billion can we buy them why not (laughs) i mean we do an lbo of this um so run us through what we see on the screen here uh, for their q3 results yeah so q3 revenue 964 million dollars that was down 24 percent year over year down 15 percent quarter over quarter subscription revenue is 370 million dollars that's about 38 percent of its total revenue versus product revenue which is 505 594 million or about 62 percent can i stop you there for one second yeah definitely subscription revenue is 370 million if you take out the cash, they're worth $2.5 billion enterprise value, right? We talk about SaaS businesses being worth 20, 30, 40, 50 times, even in today's depressed market, 30, 40, 50 might be what a high growth one would be. Now, this is declining. So, you you know, and but I think it's declining because of the reopening, it will it will increase again, maybe next year or the year after I would bet. Mm-hmm. But if they're worth 2.5 billion, and they're got 370 million a, a year in subscription revenue, or is that per quarter? Is that I believe quarters? this is a quarter. This is a quarter. This is just Q3. So that, mm-hmm. so that means they have 1.3 billion in, in subscription revenue. Subscription revenue for the year. That means they're trading at two times their subscription revenue. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. This is now to the point. I, yeah. I think I might buy some Peloton today. I uh, know. This is because that makes no sense. Paid because subs 2.9 million. Yeah. They're worth 2.5 billion. That means each sub is worth $100. Is and they're, right? they're increasing the subscription price. They're talking about rolling the hardware into a, a more expensive subscription. So they'll effectively have hardware as a service. I don't, I'm not ready to give up on this turnaround. I know mm. I have a little crush on Barry, but still. Yeah. They added subs. Well, that's good. Um, they lost 757 million. So I guess that's the that's issue bad. here. <laughs> okay. So now we know why they're worth so I little. I see. Never mind. None of that. Well, if their cash and market securities <laughs> are 1.5 billion and they're losing 757 in the quarter. That means in two quarters, they're out of cash. Yeah. That's scary. That's the math right that there. That is why this thing is. So they basically have to cut half the employees. So I really am getting a half price pel- Peloton tread. Yeah, this is. Any really minute bad. now. This Any minute really now. That's you might really not bad. buy it for Peloton, though. Exactly. <sighs> I mean. I keep they, looking on Craigslist. 1.5 billion. I mean, who? W- how do they raise money now? That's the problem when you get into this negative zone like this, when your expenses are so expensive. This is why we talk about runway constantly. Um, yeah. Uh, we talk about runway constantly in startup land because, hey, you know, 
it uh, your strategy is largely determined by how much cash and runway you have in your growth and, and all the stuff. So this is a business that's not growing. And they're losing a ton of money. And they have two quarters of runway. So I mean, are we really saying out loud that Peloton has two quarters of runway left from this point forward? From this point forward, if this, right. if this, if they stay, if nothing changes, right? Peloton appears to be out of business in two quarters. Well, they they they, they could get cash other ways. They could take loans, etc. Uh, they could do a secondary and sell more shares, or they could be bought. Yeah. So it's not going away. No, I but know. They also but I'm have just 1.4 like, billion dollars in inventory. So they got to clear that out. If they could clear that out, let's say they cut their net loss. I think they can cut their loss in half here. I don't, and I don't know the nature of the loss here. Oh, so now they actually just an update here. We <laughs> had the wrong cash me. number. Well, no, the cash numbers um, can fluctuate based on quarter. So it's actually 800 because you got to take the 757, I suppose, out of the 1.5 billion. Right. So it's even worse. So this is like um, a very acute situation. So they have three months to get bought, liquidate that inventory at every raise money at any cost or raise money. But yes. uh, despite the joke I made seven minutes ago, conditions on the ground have changed. And I don't think we should buy them after all. <laughs> um, This is I mean, there's a reason why the stock is getting crushed. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. did the earnings come out? They came out this morning or last night? And then this what is the morning? I think. So then I would say show us the stock over the last five days. Um, because that will tell a, a pretty interesting story of what people think over the last five days is going on here. And yeah, if we look see. at the last five days. Yeah, so that means, you know, a lot of people who were it was trading at $18, $19, maybe 1871 is the high water mark for the last five days. Mm -hmm. And uh, it went down to 1167s now at 13 basically 12.99 so yeah people are losing faith that they're going to come out of this yeah this is what i was talking about earlier today molly is the capitulation that can happen mm -hmm. um somebody might just let's say you had put a hundred thousand dollars into this during the you know when it was at 45 dollars, and you're looking at 30k right your hundreds worth 30k you're thinking i take the 30k out i put it into amazon and i get my 70k back you know yeah, whatever the next five to 10 years, or, or I put 10k into Tesla 10k into Google 10k into Uber, whatever, you know, there's got to be a company with better management. And a better actually, I, Uber would be for me like an interesting one. If Uber says, Hey, listen, we got we're gonna get to profitability, we got a ton of cash. We, you know, we're trading at this great multiple. Maybe you just take the 30k you have here, you put it into Uber, you put it into Google, depending on your risk, you want to have less risk, you want to have more upside. Um, and that's a better bet, right? Yeah. And so this is what is happening in the market right now is that pure capitulation because somebody's looking at this saying, well, if it's at 13, and I bought it at 40. Could it go to three? It could. So my right. 30k could turn into, you know, whatever 10k or 5k. even, and, and that's the that's the panic. So it is uh, hard to determine assets for a company, uh, because it's not going to be very specific. But if we were to look at their balance sheet, um, for those of you uh, who are in the Slack room, we'll share the link there for you. Uh, so uh, assets, current assets, cash and cash equivalents. We know what that is, right? It's literally cash in the bank or, you know, things like treasuries, things you can liquidate very quickly. We've got 879 of them as of basically April 1st. Marketable securities, they don't have any. Marketable securities would be they owned like Google shares or something. Mm -hmm. um, accounts receivable. This is money they're owed. They say 74 million. This is, I guess, 
could be people who are delinquent on their account or somebody owes them money. Um, I don't have a reseller. It's not like people are reselling it. So but if you were reselling your products, if you were selling Peloton's on Amazon, you know, Amazon might owe you money, right? Something like that inventory 1.4 subscription payments too, like incoming subscription payments. I don't think that would be listed here because I think you get charged at the beginning of the month, not the end. Right, but it right, could right. be people who are delinquent, right? So yeah. they that that could be that. Okay, so yeah, accounts receivable could also be BNPL buy now pay later. So if somebody was paying on a payment plan, maybe that's what that is. Prepaid expenses and other current assets prepaid might be I paid my rent for next year, I paid for a bunch of chips, I paid for uh, the pedals, you know, so s- in order to keep, you know, the chips in stock or the the screens in stock, we bought an extra 100 million worth of them because they're hard to source and when we got our hands on them we bought them so that 200 million is stuff they prepaid for it that expense would come next year but it sits on the balance sheet as an asset uh because you never spent it property and equipment 754 million this would be you know desks chairs laptops intangible assets um this can include a lot of different things like ip i believe would fall into intangibles uh goodwill again that could be things like uh considerations for a um buying something uh that has some inherent value so if they had bought i don't know um a brand that had some value right sometimes people will buy a brand and they mm-hmm. say well there's some goodwill for this brand it's worth 41 million restricted cash look would at the be- difference though by the way just as a side note if goodwill is like assets that yeah. you can't monetize directly that include like brand value mm. then you you have to compare it. You can't really move on without comparing it to 2021 when it was, you know, $210 million versus Who knows now what's out, yeah. 41. So I, I, if I'm being honest, I don't know exactly what's in there. I know that's a catch-all. Restricted yeah. cash would be like maybe you put down a letter of credit for an office space, but you don't have access to it. So in two years, you will have access to it. So that would probably be what restricted cash means. Operating lease right-of-use assets. So they might have leased factories or office spaces i'm thinking but i don't know why that would be considered an asset unless they paid it in advance so i don't know understand what operating lease lease right of use assets means and then other assets 39 million could be catch-alls for other things um so uh and if we look at investopedia uh tell us what they say yeah, um, I looked it up. Goodwill so is. there's a couple of interesting things about this one. Goodwill really is just reputation. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like customer loyalty, brand reputation, these non quantifiable assets. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is significant that it went from, you know, $200 million last year to $41 million, even though it can't be directly monetized. The other thing that's interesting is that a lot of times uh, companies will combine Hmm. intangible assets and goodwill into the same exactly into the same line item but in the case of peloton they didn't they broke them out separately that's why i kind of nailed this because i said ip so here it says here on investopedia copyrights patents licensing agreements and website domain names totally so if you own inside.com it's a million dollar domain name on inside's balance sheet if inside were to go belly up doing four million in revenue it's doing really well i can't believe you can Uh, list i can't believe you can assign a dollar value to reputation and loyalty that's so fascinating i think people can but they don't yeah um i don't think that that's a common practice when you get bought sometimes people will put stuff into that so if you're buying a company and it only has like 10 million in revenue and you're buying it for 100 million you might say well 20 million of this is the goodwill of the brand that we're buying so when we actually got bought by aol they had put goodwill and intangible assets for a portion of what engadget autoblog and those things were worth they called it goodwill intangible assets on the statement I saw of how they valued us. 
Yeah. Um, cause it did have a brand that meant something to people. So if you totally. were to buy Nike or you were to buy Star Wars, like Star Wars, like that IP, those copyrights, the Marvel characters, like we, as we have seen, that right. is a real thing. There's right? an IP intrinsic value. value to that because people are attached right. to it. So, so right. really that right. the difference in those two numbers is significant. And also no matter what the like mm -hmm. too long didn't read here, the TLDR is like, they're in trouble. Oh, and also a great note from one of our producers, Peloton bought Precore. So I actually had nailed that. That could have been you. like Precore. They they bought some asset and it had some value. So it's all everybody who's that. listening, just in case this part isn't in the yeah. show, Nick jumped in and was like, Hey, can you just like run through this <laughs> on the fly? Because we're not really sure what all this means. And Jason was like, Yeah, let me take a stab. I, I no mean, no problem. I, I picked up a couple of things along the way. Having there you go, your free MBA. I've never done anything, but you know, just ride on the backs of my investments. Um, you know, and this tragedy has to stop <laughs> you know this it's, abuse a shame. Has to stop. <laughs> it's a shame that you just aren't good but enough to be in the mob <laughs> yeah i just this is you know i'm not good enough to be in the mob and i'm just riding on my investments i will say i have written some investments <laughs> truth be told i did ride that uber investment pretty hard <laughs> i believe that uh i believe that's the intrinsic value of your brand goodwill jason well Boom. played mollywood well there we are everybody <laughs> we're now at an hour and a half show Thanks for tuning into this week in startups. How do you help the show? You follow Molly Wood, you follow us on the Twitter, you give us a rating, you go to youtube.com this weekend and you join in the fun. Every day we laugh it up from 10 to noon ish. Uh, and you put on after the subscribe button, Molly, there's a little bell there, you hit the bell, you give updates. You got YouTube on your phone, you're sitting there at your desk, you're on your tread. And you want to hear the straight dope. Well, you're gonna get it from Molly and J Cal JMO is here for you to break this all down. Moja is high uh put on those put on the bell just hit the bell Ding. and you'll get to um chat with us and then uh soon we're gonna be doing this week at startups live in the fall we'll start to we did the meetups experiment that went really well lots of energy there we're gonna upgrade that to this week in startups live uh and so we're gonna come to your town and we're gonna do something great uh with the show live and featuring startups because the show is about startups and we're going on the road molly we are hot damn who's your favorite what's your favorite city mal you got a favorite city oh my god copenhagen let's go i do like copenhagen i was trying to keep it domestic for now but uh i'll think no. of some uh in new orleans let's go to new orleans, new orleans? and we'll get the chicory coffee and some beignets i love I'm, I'm in. new orleans uh I, you know, i haven't been there in baby. 20 years 20 years <gasps> but we will tear that place up 